Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, JH, coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm excited to be joined by George Galanopoulos, head coach of the Dallas Mavericks affiliate, Texas Legends. In this episode, we spoke about his journey through the coaching ranks of the Texas Legends, his experiences coaching in Africa with the Uganda men's national team, and the future of the NBA G League for rising NBA superstars right out of high school. We've got a going in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 32, George Galanopoulos, Texas Legends head coach. Yes, Yorgo Posise. What you don't know about me is that I don't know Greek very well. Oh, okay. I thought that'd be know, definitely a fun way to start it. I know. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know uh, Yasu, Tikanatek, Alasi, and a couple swear words, and that's it. You do have the swear words down, so that's that's the most important thing. For so sure. As long as, you're, as long as you're able to navigate it that way. I mean, you, if you if you just got dropped in Greece and you just knew how to say my locker, you'd be fine. Yeah, well, that's what that's what my mom called me uh, whenever I was, you know, being an ass growing up. So that's that's how I got to know that word. Awesome. Coach George, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this one because you have so many cool insights and you've seen so much in, in such a short time. You're, you're still a relatively young coach. So I'm really thankful you can come on the show. And just to start for our listeners, can you kind of give us a, a quick little walkthrough of how you got introduced to the game as a kid? Yeah, so I was maybe five or six years old. Uh, dad bought me a basketball hoop that he put on the driveway. Uh, fell in love with it from that point on. Um, started playing in organized leagues when I was about nine or 10 years old. And uh, I played for my high school for a couple of years. And I started coaching in high school as well when I was about 17 years old, fifth and sixth grade at AAU, coached seventh and eighth grade my senior year. And I fell in love with it. And, you know, it was around that time that, um, you know, Lawrence Frank, a lot of former video coordinators that didn't have a strong playing background in the NBA or college uh, came onto the scene, uh, you know, working their way up through internships and were coaching in the NBA. So uh, that kind of paved the way for me. Um, to realize that it was possible to do this as somebody that didn't play high-level college or NBA or overseas or something like that. So um, that's kind of where it started was just on the driveway and uh, it never stopped after that. And uh, starting early in high school, I think, uh, you know, allowed me to find my love for coaching within the game as well. That's awesome. And the most important thing you touched on right there is that it never stopped, which is the most beautiful thing about this whole thing. It's a game we start playing as kids, but it takes us into our careers as adults, which is just awesome. And you, you touched on a little bit too, how you saw how all these other people in video coordinators were finding success. And, and like, obviously we're going to touch on that too, because your, your path to kind of grow, grow up that ladder so quickly was awesome. But what I really thought was really cool was when you brought up how you were coaching when you were still in high school. So that's something I do now. I'm a freshman coach at Xavier. I was a coach for Super League and a bunch of other organizations. But my main thing is coaching the freshman team at Xavier. And I, I did that when I was 18, just freshman year of, of college. The players were about 14, 15, and very close in age. So, I mean, obviously, that must have been the same thing for you at that, that point. And even, even now in the professional ranks, you might be coaching some guys that are older than you. What, what's that like, if you could speak on that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, for me personally, it, I don't, it's not something I think about. I don't think, you know, this guy's older than I, so I, I got to treat him differently. Or this guy's younger than I, so... I feel like I could be more authoritative. I, I just think that it's important to be authentic when you're coaching. It's important to be yourself. It's important to um, 
you know, coach everybody fairly, even though you coach people differently based on their personalities. Um, I think it just comes down to getting to know the person, getting to know who you're talking to, who you're working with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's players or staff, regardless of age, and just build that relationship. And you build it through getting to know them. You build it through, you know, that, that builds through trust. And I think it just kind of is a domino effect from there. So I don't really look at it by, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm younger, this, that. I just, I do my best to prepare every day to be my best self so that I can best help others, whether staff, players, whatever it is. Um, and that's kind of at the foundation of, of my personal philosophy on, on how I coach individuals. That's great. It's definitely the way to do it. The, what I took from that was authenticity always wins. And when you approach it with that kind of mindset and that perspective of as long as I'm my best self, whether, whether someone's way older than me or way younger than me, they'll look at me and say, okay, wow, George knows his stuff. Just to kind of expand on that a little bit, something I thought about was, you know, if, if there are guys that are older than I am, for example, that means that they simply have more experience or even guys that are younger, they have different experiences. So what I've learned um, especially in this last year more than ever, is how much you can learn from players, how much you can learn from other people, whether they have more years of experience or just different experiences throughout those years. Um, you know, I think it's important to take that, that humble approach, detach yourself from your own ego and just learn and realize that you can learn something different from every single person. So uh, that's something else I think that you know, I've, I've learned to value a lot uh, after this first season. Of course, everyone has a different experience and, and no matter who they are, or how maybe how good they are, or how old they are, or young they are, everyone can teach you something. That, that, that's awesome. And off that kind of topic of, of teaching someone something, I mean, you obviously touched on, on kind of your father and that role he played in basketball, but who are kind of some of your mentors in, in life, especially maybe starting on or, or even now? Yeah, so besides my father, and you know, both my parents, um, somebody I met at, at a young age in high school and who actually helped me with my first uh, coaching gig in high school was a guy by the name of Steve Pratt. Um, he, he was and still is uh, the CEO of Full Package Athletics, which is run out of the Chicago suburbs. It's a basketball training academy. They got AAU teams, individual development, um, you know, all of that stuff. So uh, he's been doing that, I think, for the last 20 years now. And he's been a mentor to me from day one. He's somebody that gave me uh, or he got me my first internship in the G League uh, when it was the D League back in you know, 2011. Um, because his very good friend was the coach of the team. So, you know, I worked for Steve in high school and then he helped me get that opportunity with his friend uh, as a basketball operations intern. So he's somebody that not only has helped me with opportunities, but we continue to talk once or twice a week sometimes. Um, And he's somebody that as I talk to him, I continue to learn from him. I mean, he's not just somebody that tells me you're doing great. I'm proud of you. Um, He listens to what I say and he'll, he'll call me out on certain things. You know, he will, he's always evaluating. He's always trying to help me. He's always, um, you know, keeping my perspective fresh and, you know, helping me empathize with others and helping me see a different perspective. So I think those types of mentors are, are really important to have around you. Um, you know, Nelson's been a guy like that for me. You know, when I came, uh, when I went to Bakersfield that first year as an intern, uh, I think he was a video coordinator at the time. And he just has like a you know, vast amount of experience and, from, from the time I was young to even now as, as an assistant coach, he's somebody that I can trust to coach me, mentor me, um, and tell me the truth. And I think it's important to have those types of people around you. So, you know, those two, Will Voigt, who I worked for in Bakersfield, uh, is another coach that at, at a young age when, when I was, uh, when I was impression, impressionable and still pretty malleable, um, 
I think he's somebody that was honest with me about who I was as a person and what I needed to do and how I needed to work on myself uh, to get to where I am today. And uh, not just from a from a position standpoint, how you get to be a head coach at 31, but from a personality standpoint, how you get to a point where you know you are really looking to help and serve others uh, over over anything else that's uh, that's maybe selfishly driven. Who can take away from that is number one how important it is to have good mentors and also, but not, not, maybe not even mentors, but even peers that can also mentor you, but also kind of point you in that direction, like someone like Nelson who could tell you you have spinach in your teeth or something to that effect, and, and help you get through that. So that's it's so important to have people like that. And you also kind of touched on it, a mentor that helped you kind of get into the into the well, then the D League right away, right after college. What did that kind of look like for you in terms of right after graduating, you kind of were able to land right into into basketball, which is I, I would imagine is what you wanted to do. Yeah, at, at that time. Up, up to that point in my life at a young age, I had not had trouble getting jobs, right? I had worked for a few people. It seemed like everything just kind of worked out serendipitously and this person knew this person. And it was always on a phone call that I got something. And uh, I think at, at a young age, you, you take it for granted a little bit. And, you know, what I didn't know going into it was, A, how, how difficult those opportunities are to get. Um, and at the professional level, especially as an intern in the D League, when there's a lot less manpower in the staff, how much work there actually is. And I can openly say I, I struggled with it a little bit. You know, I was, I was young, I was out of college. I was a little bit arrogant, thought I knew a lot more than I did, obviously. Um, and it, it, it was a wake up call, you know, and having people like Nelson around, having somebody like Will Voigt who really held me accountable to the highest standard um, helped me kind of take a step back and see everything through a much different lens, a much clearer lens with, uh, you know, a broader perspective of, you know, this isn't about me. This isn't about my coaching journey. This is about how can I, how can I help others? I think the best way to help others is figure out how you can become the best version of yourself. You constantly need to be working on yourself. And uh, that was a, a big year for me. It was a big transition year. And, um, you know, having a lot of those honest conversations with people, um, you know, those mentors about how I could be better um, was something that happened constantly throughout that season. And, and that off season, I went back to Chicago, worked for Steve Pratt again, uh, who knew by talking to Will that I, I had some work that I had to do, uh, some personal work and, you know, came back the next season, I think just with a much better and fresher perspective of um, how to do my best in my role uh, to help the team, to help the coach, uh, to just help the players get better and, and help the people around me. And that, and just to trust that the rest kind of takes care of itself. But yeah, that first year was, uh, it was a little overwhelming with the amount of work and, uh, just something that I, I had to get used to. You know, I think you, you really grow when you're in an uncomfortable space and not just uncomfortable in the sense that this is not something I do often, but it's pretty uncomfortable when you got a number of people constantly telling you like, you're not perfect. <laughs> you got a lot of work that you got to do and it's hard, you know, but you got to self-reflect, you got to figure out, um, you know, why, why you think the way you think and do things the way you do things and figure out just how to be better from that. So that was, that was a huge transition year and very, very integral to um, how I became the person that I am. Of course. And, and it's important for people to realize that you're going to hit those speed bumps. It's, it's going to get a little rocky, especially at the beginning. But I mean, if you stay the course and you obviously had the willingness to go and ask other people for help, and that's, that's super important because let's say you kept that and bottled it up inside of you and counterproductive and self-destructive. So you're able to go ask for help and, and, and grow in that way, so which is which is great. Also, you went from the Ma the Mavericks to the G League, back to the Mavericks, back to the G League, and that's kind of a lot a lot of what goes on in the G League in terms of there's always that that transition, that that influx, and things are always changing. The cha change is probably the only constant in the G League. 
if you can kind of touch on that whole period for you. Yeah. So without going too far back and spending too much time on it, after that intern year, I spent two more years in Bakersfield, the second as a player development coach and the third as an assistant coach. So I got a really good experience, really good hands-on experience um, coaching, coaching on the floor, delivering scouts, video work, working with the players on the court. Uh, you just wear so many different hats when when you're in the, the G League and even the D League at the time where staffs were a lot smaller. So I got very good hands-on coaching experience there. Um, you know, the following season, I, I didn't get an opportunity. The Phoenix Suns bought the Bakersfield Jam uh, and they got a whole new staff. So I actually moved out to New Zealand for five months and coached as an assistant over there just to kind of keep my foot in the door, keep learning different type of life experience going overseas and then wanted to get back in the NBA. And the, the actually the only job I got, thankfully, was uh, a player development internship with the Dallas Mavericks. You know, it was the first time that they were doing a program where they um, hired 12 interns just to be on the court. And at that point, I'd been a coach. You know, I'd been an assistant coach. I worked three years in the G League. I was an assistant coach for the team in New Zealand. Um, so I felt like I could bring more value than just working with on the court. But you know, I wanted to coach in the NBA, and that was the one opportunity I got. So um, based on what happened in Bakersfield, you know, having 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 had really work on myself from a maturity standpoint, I think prepped me well for uh, for that role with the Mavericks. That no matter how valuable you think you are, no matter um, how much more responsibility you think you could take on, you just need to be really good in your role and just do whatever you can to help in that role. So that's, that was my kind of approach um, in that season. Thankfully, there was a spot open as an assistant coach with the uh, legends the following season. So they hired me there and kept me on. And then uh, again, serendipitously, a role opened up in the video room for an assistant video coordinator position. And uh, thankfully they had me in mind and hired me full time just before the uh, just before that next season started. So I spent the next two years in the video room with the Mavericks, and then uh, again, serendipitously, a uh, head coaching position opens, and uh, the stars aligned, and they decided that they wanted to hire me in that role, which I'm obviously extremely grateful for. And um, you know, certain things you don't have control over as far as how positions open up or where people move to and move out. Um, all you could do is just be really good at your role, continue to learn, build relationships. And, you know, they just kind of, just kind of things just kind of worked out that way. Of course. And it's great to kind of realize how things do kind of sometimes just work out that way, but you had to do so much before that. Obviously you did so many cool things with the Mavericks at the beginning. This year was um, cut short due to the coronavirus. I, I saw that it actually happened on your birthday. I, I don't know if, they, if you have a, a good story to talk about, about with that, but you guys were in the playoff hunt a successful first season. What, what were your kind of thoughts on just the season as a whole before we start touching in on like some of the specifics that you've kind of seen over the course of the four years there? Yeah, it's, there's so much to say about it. Um, if I could sum it up, it would be, it was an incredible learning experience uh, in, in so many different facets, both individually for me as a coach. Uh, you know, when, when you're thrown into the fire like that and there's so many things that you have to oversee and worry about, you, you notice how difficult it is and how many blind spots you have as a coach. And I noticed a lot of different blind spots I had. Thankfully, I had a lot of good people around me to help me um, through all of that. And, and that's, I think the one thing that comes to mind too, is we had a lot of great people um, that were a part of our organization, players, staff, uh, management, even, even the people on the business side, um, you know, just a lot of good people all pulling in the right direction. And it's very difficult in the G League to find a good group of guys that are very cohesive just because there's so much roster change and movement. Um, but our core group of guys that were there all year long 
just simply a great group of guys. And thankfully they, they got to know each other. Um, you know, they hung out off the court. They would go to team meals on their own that they would plan as a team, uh, just the players. So as a coach, there's not much more that you can ask for that. You just had a good group of guys that pulled for each other and that supported each other, treated the staff well. the staff treated the players with respect. There was just a good, it was a good environment. I think every single day that was conducive to the players getting better. And that's ultimately what the players want. They want to get better. And uh, that's, that's the environment we tried to build. And you don't build that unless you have good people. So we had really, really good people. Um, I, I was hoping to see uh, the season finish out, obviously, just because we were starting to play some, some pretty good basketball um, the last few games. And you, you want to see it for the players. You know, it's every game is an opportunity for those guys to showcase what they can do and potentially get called up. You know, a lot can happen at the NBA level in, uh, in 24 hours, let alone you know, 24 days. Um, so it was unfortunate for those guys specifically that it was cut short because they just simply had more opportunity to play. But it was what it was, and everybody was affected by it. But to look back on it, it, it wasn't a disappointment that it was cut short. That just is what it is. I was, I'm really grateful um, for the opportunity to have just spent with, with all those people in the building every day. Of course. And what I find so interesting about that is that you spoke so much about the process you guys take to win games and it had nothing to do with basketball. And it's, it's funny because so many people come on the show and talk about how it, there's so much more to it than the game itself. And it's, it's the things like players planning their own team dinners and, 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 and actually liking each other and having fun off the court. I mean, and I know you could probably speak to it in terms of how much you've seen that stuff actually, while people might not think of it as like what leads to winning, it's what leads to winning more than any X's and O's or, or any technical stuff ever, ever could. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and look, the, the basketball stuff's important. You know, I've always heard it's not about the X's and O's it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right. Meaning like, it's about the person, it's about the people. I, I've heard that from, from the time I was a youngster from coaches and I get that it, it is about the people for sure. The basketball stuff is important. You know, every day I had to, along with the other assistants prepare, um, to be able to give our players the right information, the valuable information that was going to help them succeed on the court. And um, that, that's a very important aspect of it, uh, especially at the professional level. You need to be prepared every day. These players are very smart. And uh, any day that you're quote unquote off as a coach or you didn't come in prepared, they'll see it. You know, and that, that, that matters to them. You know, it matters to everybody as, as far as, you know, what you want the outcome to be at the end of the day. What what I think is important is, you know, if you want to win, I don't think the conversation is constantly about winning. I don't think it's constantly, we got to win tomorrow. We got to do this. And we said that in our first meeting, we all want to win. And we're not going into this, not trying to win a game. Anytime we're in a drill and practice, we're keeping score. We step between the lines, any game we have, we're trying to win the game. Um, and, and that's how you need to approach it. But the way in which I think you manifest those wins is by your daily habits, your daily behaviors. Are your habits and are your behaviors aligning with what you want that outcome to be, which is ultimately to win, to get call-ups, to get better, to get that big contract. You can't just walk in every day sulking that we didn't win yesterday or sulking we've lost five in a row or sulking because you haven't gotten that call-up. You just need to walk into the gym and simply figure out what I need to do today to be better tomorrow. And you just take that approach every single day and just kind of chip away at it. Um, and sooner or later, the byproduct is, is a win, is five wins in a row, is a 24-19 season. Um, and I think I could have been better, even better at that, at helping our staff and our players see that from day one. Um, but I think it got better as the year went on. And I think having some of the players that we had and the personalities and the character that we had in that building, that locker room, really, really aided in that for sure.
course. And, and that's such a great way to put it in terms of putting it all into perspective because some people get caught up in focusing on, on like what you said, X's and O's or Jimmy's or Joe's. But if you really put them all, all together, you really get a much better product and it does lead to winning games instead of just always thinking about that win in the back of your head. I did read this a Sports Illustrated article about you coaching internationally with, with Uganda, being a head coach there. What was that kind of like? Because you were, you were still in the G League. You ended up spending your summers over there in Africa. I mean, everyone always talks about how European basketball, they, they always kind of relate that to overseas. Whenever you hear someone, um, I'm playing overseas, they're playing in Europe. And no one really talks about African basketball that much. What was that look like for you in terms of making the transition over there? Yeah, it, so the transition over there happened in stages for me. It was, it was a little overwhelming at, at first to a degree where I just – I went to a, a country that I'd never been to before. Uh, I think our first tournament was in Alexandria, Egypt, and had to prep for two weeks in a training camp and play three straight games in a row. Um, so it was different. It was, it was a great learning experience. Made me realize how hard being a head coach actually is. Didn't discourage me from wanting to be it. Just made me realize how, you know, how difficult it is and how much you got to work at it. Um, but as I've, as I've been involved for the last three, four years, um, I've gotten more involved in uh, youth basketball in Africa. Uh, I had the opportunity to help coach Giants of Africa, um, which is a youth basketball camp across seven or eight different countries that Masai Ujiri runs um, with other coaches and scouts um, from around the world um, that have African roots. And, and what I realized was, um, you know, how how much untapped potential there is in Africa, because basketball is a game that is not as easily accessible as a game like soccer, for example. You know, soccer is the most popular sport in the world and uh, is the most popular sport in Africa. And the reality is basketball could be their best sport, you know, and some of them don't even know it because they haven't played. So you're, you're getting these kids to camps that are 14, 15, 16 years old that have never dribbled before, but they're six, seven or six, eight. Um, so it's really interesting to see the NBA now is starting to take, uh, you know, a vested interest in what's going on over there. They're starting to build these academies. Uh, Rwanda has built this you know, multi-million dollar arena that seats, you know, close to 15,000 people. Um, Uganda is trying to do the same. And you're seeing that more and more um, around the continent. And I think as, as time goes on, what you'll see besides just national teams potentially getting better is just simply the continent itself and the players um, improving at the grassroots level. Um, you see those success stories like a Pascal Siakam, a Joel Embiid, um, a Serge Ibaka. I think you're going to start seeing more of those because the NBA is taking it more seriously and, um, you know, investing more money in it, investing coaching in it. They're investing in the coaches on the continent so that they can be better to help these kids at a young age. Um, you know, there's just so many people on the continent and, a lot of them are starting to learn and fall in love with the game of basketball. So from that perspective, it's, it's a developing sport in the country. Um, and these kids are starting to learn. They're starting to learn um, how to work. They're starting to learn what it means to go work out, what it looks like to work out, what it looks like to, to play the right brand of basketball, spacing the whole nine yards. A lot of it is starting from the ground up. So it's been really, really interesting to see what I thought was just going to be originally something on the resume coaching a national team has turned into um, like a passionate interest in, in helping the country, you know, and I'm not the only one there's, there's a ton, obviously. So really looking forward to seeing how, how all of it pans out and develops. Oh, that, that's super interesting because no one really thinks about that. And, and when you think about the untapped potential in Africa, it's kind of, you can kind of maybe, I'm not sure if you can compare it to Europe in the nineties in the and then 
Barcelona happens in 1992 and, and basketball explodes there. It's kind of the same way how all these these African players are coming over, like 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 the Serge Ibaka, like the like Pascal Siakam, as you had mentioned, or Joel Embiid, and they're spreading the game. And they're, they're playing here, and kids back 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 in Africa are saying, "Wow, I could do that too." Imagine all these other countries or all these other full continents that are completely untapped and have all this potential. Where if you just start getting kids to play basketball at a younger age, or increase the level of coaching there, I mean, it's it's just going to explode in terms of the popularity and the kind of talent you're getting out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, think about it from this perspective, like Luka Doncic, right? Luka John, Doncic had been playing, um, you know, two, three grades up from the time he was eight or nine years old and signs his first professional contract. I think at 14 or 15 years old, he's playing for one of the best teams in the world. And it's a, one of the best teams in the world because it's very structured, right? The teaching is solid. Uh, they value the fundamentals and he was playing at the highest level from the time he was 14 or 15 years old. A lot of these kids that, are making it out of out of Africa, like a Joel Embiid. You hear Akeem Olajuwon even back in the day. I don't think he even picked up a basketball until he was like 16 or 17. So if you could imagine these guys playing, um, you know, from four or five years old, getting the opportunity to develop a lot at a young age, and then they're thrown into a very competitive, uh, you know, pro- potentially professional environment and atmosphere at 13 or 14 years old, sky's the limit, you know, for those kids. So a lot of it is circumstance. Uh, for these for these kids, especially in Africa, and I think that's what the NBA and everybody's trying to do is is help those circumstances and you know help those kids um, you know, find that potential and, and reach it uh, at at a much younger age. It's so cool to think about too how you mentioned how imagine if you start playing at four or five. We don't have to really imagine that anymore because those four or five, those four and five olds exist right now. They're, they're, they're there. They were born uh, in 2015, 2014, whatever it might be. And they're, 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 they're alive. They're in Africa. And in, in 10 years, they'll be 16 and, and about to storm onto the professional scene. So it's, 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 it's insane to really think about that and wrap your mind around that. And also what you're saying about how guys like Luka Doncic are playing up three years or up four years and playing professionally at 14 guys, mostly here in the States in high school are, are, are reclassing to kind of just play, play below their age group instead of going up three levels, which is definitely a huge different cultural and just kind of the way they, they do things over there. Yeah. Off that point. I mean, uh, the, obviously the, the G league has had a complete rebranding in recent years uh, from the D league and they're becoming a lot more like a lot more high school players are going straight to the G League. And even now that was even a newer thing in the past few months, as opposed to going to the NCAA, what do you see happening with that in coming years? Because that's obviously that changes the whole youth system in terms of how, how players go on to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to take maybe a full, a full year considering the circumstances from COVID and the way that this season is going to play out. I don't even know at this point, you know, we're, we're just hearing dates thrown at us. Um, you know, randomly about when potentially the NBA wants to start, when the G League is going to start, if the G League is going to start at all. Um, you know, so I think it's going to take a full season for them to really figure out how they can maximize the development of those players in a normal climate. Um, you know, I, I think the NBA is very creative. Uh, they, they understand how much is invested in these kids and their development. And I think considering the circumstances, you know, it remains to be seen over the next four, five, six months, how they plan to do that. I, I think they'll, they'll do the best with what they have, but to actually look at it and say, you know, how, how are they actually going to maximize that talent? How are they going to maximize the experience and the potential of these kids? Um, and, and how is that going to change the landscape of, of youth basketball and decision-making for high schoolers? I, I think it's going to take uh, a little bit over a year. Uh, to see exactly how it does impact it. But, you know, the, the idea to play in a professional setting here in America, 
um, you know, with, with really great resources and you got the NBA in, investing a lot in that. Um, I think it could only be good. You know, Brian Shaw is a, a very reputable coach who's coached at the highest level. He's played at the highest level, understands what it takes uh, to be successful uh, and, and have, a, a, you know, understand longevity in this business and in this league. So I think it could only be, mean good things in the future for these kids. And they'll, they'll set the example, you know, for the others to follow. Definitely. There's definitely a, a new wave coming in. And so the, like, like you're saying, just a year or two, the whole landscape might be different. And then two years after that, the whole landscape might be different. And then five years after that, we'll get an influx of, of, of guys from Africa that are going to come in and dominate the basketball scene. So it's, it's crazy to think as to how many levels there are to this and, and how much it always changes. Um, so just to wrap up, um, I, I'm just curious. I, I ask every guest this to kind of see um, how much you've kind of grown since your early stages. What's some advice you'd give to a 20-year-old uh, George Galanopoulos um, just kind of maybe graduating from Indiana or just kind of getting into the, into the basketball scene? What would, you, what would you tell him to kind of help him on his path? Oh, wow. A lot. I would, but since we don't have time, um, I would, whether they want to be a coach or whether they want to be a GM, uh, just assuming they, they want to work in basketball, what I would tell them is do your best in your specific role to help the people around you. Learn as much as you possibly can add value to yourself. The only way you're going to get hired for the next job is if they find value in you and think that you can help them in a specific capacity to help the organization. So you do need to add, add value. You do need to learn, but in the role you're in star in that role, be as good as you possibly can. And the rest will take care of itself. I know that sounds, you know, it might sound a little bit hokey and, and Cinderella-ish, but it's, it's what I've seen work, um, you know, for me personally, and I know everybody's on a different path, but, um, you know, you just need to be really, really good at your role that you're in specifically and never be too big for a task. Just always look to be as helpful as you possibly can to other people. You'll build more meaningful relationships that way. And I think you'll be happier that way if you are just, if you're helping to serve others more than you're just worrying about your own specific path every single day. Of that, the great advice. One question, uh, quick thing. I want to see if what you think about it is, uh, Xavier. A lot of the times we say that um, it's it's not really about what your role is to get that rebound. It's your purpose to get that rebound. I, I'm kind of curious to see what you kind of think about that. Kind of just change up of the word of. But what do, what do you think about that? I don't know if you if you like that at all. If, if you, what do you yeah, think? I do like it. I I don't know if this is right or if we're we're on the same wavelength here, but it makes me think about like when I was an intern, say for the for the Mavericks, right? I was a player development intern. A lot of what I was doing, I wasn't coaching. I was, I was on the court being told to rebound, play defense, whatever it is. Um, and if my role was just to rebound, my idea is how well can you rebound, right? Like how hard can you sprint after the ball? How quickly can you get the ball? How quickly and efficiently can you get the ball back to the coach so that, you know, the, the workout is not interrupted and you keep the flow to it. Like, that to me is what it means to, to star in your role. That's what it means to, you know, to find purpose. You know, the purpose in me being in that role was not to, it was partly to be like the best rebounder, but how can I help this workout? How can I help this coach help this player? And for me, the most simplest way was to sprint after the ball, to make sure it only bounced once. You know, I had, in my head, I had a one bounce rule. The ball could only bounce once, no matter if it was a long rebound or not. And I was going to bounce it right back to the coach as quickly as possible so that the player can get more shots. And you know, that was my purpose in it was how can I help? Um, how can I help the coach help the player and, and vice versa? So 
I agree with you. I've always said it's, it's about your purpose. That's you talk about burnout. You talk about people that just don't want to do it anymore. I think some people allow stress and burnout to get to them because they forget what their purpose is. You know, every single day I realize my can't get too caught up and overwhelmed in things because my purpose at the end of the day is to, to help people get better. And you can't allow the stress of a loss or a win, um, you know, to, to, to compromise that purpose that you have. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's, it's what I thought of in response to kind of what you were oh, saying. Well, that was perfect. It, it, definitely, it definitely does because that getting that rebound isn't just, I mean, it obviously helps the job, but in the bigger picture, it helps just the team get better, which is obviously the goal. So you might think of it as, oh, like, like some, someone might belittle that and say, I'm just getting rebounds as if it's a small thing, but it's part of your purpose to make the team win, to make the team win more games, to get the team better. And that's definitely something that when you really think of it in that big picture, it makes every, all, even all those little things, it makes you realize why people ca- talk about how those little things are, 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 make a big difference. It's because they're all part of the purpose. As simple as tasks like that are, it's very easy to lose interest in them. Yep. Because you think, what is my purpose here? You know, what is, why am I here? I, they don't need me. I'm not that valuable. Well, figure out, <laughs> figure out how to make yourself valuable and figure out how, um, you know, you can, you can make your purpose worth it there. So. That's pretty much sure. it. Now, Coach George, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this was fantastic. I know, I mean, it's it's like the, your, just your perspectives on, on where you kind of have seen the game are just so unique. And it's, it's something that I think our listeners and, and obviously myself are going to learn a lot about and are gonna take a lot of, of, of gems from this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it, John. Best of luck to you as well. Thanks for listening to the Big Fellas Podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at Big Fellas Pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode, Big Fellas.